chapter 1. We began the series in Colossians last week uh, entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. The book is very much about Him, and uh, so we will continue that by reading this morning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writes and he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, excuse me, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your Bible, what it means to us, your word, your revelation here. And we pray for a special anointing of your Holy Spirit to allow the truths that you wrote through the Apostle Paul to impact our lives and our relationship with you. And his teaching here is is dense and, uh, and communicates so much. And we pray that you would give us a special ability to hear all of it and absorb all of it and that it would have a living uh, place in our lives far beyond uh, simply listening to the teaching this morning. And we pray for that work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember as we began the book last week that the church at Colossae was falling prey uh, to false teaching that had uh, infiltrated it at this point and and the false teaching that had begun to uh, impact the church was the idea that the Christianity that has been provided to us in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the Christianity that is built upon his life, his example, built upon uh, his teaching, that somehow all of that can be improved upon uh, through either man's philosophy or through legalism or through some kind of a false uh, extra-biblical mysticism or unbiblical supernaturalness, and even going so far in the false teaching uh, that was in the church was this idea of just simply throwing off the commandments of God. Uh, Why fight all of it? Why fight the flesh, the world, the devil? Why not just accommodate it and uh, be Christians in in terms of uh, what we are in our noggin, having the proper understanding of God, but we don't have to take seriously uh, obeying Him. And all of this was happening all at once here in this uh, church. And the idea that once you know the fundamentals of the Christian life, that you must then move beyond those fundamentals in order to achieve uh, true uh, spiritual maturity. And, uh, as, and we see this very kind of si- same thing uh, all around us even today. You look at so many Christian books, not all of them, but many of them that are written today, uh, many teachers telling us that uh, they possess, they have discovered the key to uh, spiritual maturity, the key to experiencing the fullness of, of the Christian life, and uh, usually centered around some uh, kind of a new, very carefully uh, disguised human philosophy that has been absorbed into the Bible, absorbed into Christianity, or some legalism that's being added, and uh, some new set of do's and don'ts, or uh, some, excuse me, extra-biblical pseudo-spiritualism, excuse me, that's being added, and uh, some extra-biblical encounter with the Holy Spirit, or with the supernatural. And, 
And it's important to realize that as these things went on at the time of the Church of Colossae, and as they go on even today, that the target of this, this super spiritual group, or the people that uh, felt they were going to offer a super spiritual, uh, unique, uh, secret, only they know, uh, keys to a, a, a deeper Christian life, that the people that are most vulnerable to uh, the, their doctrine, both then and today, are people who are the most serious about their relationship with the Lord. If any, you don't care about growing deeper in the Lord, if you don't care about making a difference for God uh, in the world and in human history, then you're not susceptible to anything of the kind. But it is those of us who take our relationship with God very seriously. We do want to be used by God. We do want to make a difference uh, for God. We do want to go as deep as we can in our relationship with God to realize that most often we are the most vulnerable uh, to these kind of little things that are always floating around uh, in, in the body of Christ. And it was Oswald Chambers who said that an unguarded strength and a love for God is a strength, a desire to be used for, by God is a strength, but it has to be guarded and well-directed. Oswald uh, Chambers said, an unguarded strength is a, a double weakness, and that is the truth. And what Paul does in this letter is he informs the church at Colossae and us as a result that spiritual maturity in the Christian faith is not something that is available to some spiritual elite or some select few within the body of Christ, that they gain this knowledge and then uh, nobody knows it except that they impart that uh, to us. And, uh, or that spiritual maturity is not found in some uh, obscure, hard to find path that we're often told it's found on, but it's really found in just simply learning the will of God, and then obeying the will of God, and then obeying in the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. And then to continue to do those three things throughout the entirety of our uh, lives. And that's the point of these, passage, this, these verses that we've looked at and read here this morning. Now before we get there, I do want us to take a moment to notice Paul's comments on prayer uh, in verse 9, because uh, they are their own instruction in terms of this very important area of the Christian life uh, called prayer. And you notice first that Paul had a prayer list. There were people that Paul prayed for uh, continually, and the church at Colossae was on that uh, prayer list. It's very important that we find ourselves as Christians on the prayer lists of other people. And it's uh, 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 super important for that to happen. Uh, sometimes I think as Americans, we're very uh, strong, we're very independent so often. Uh, we're secretive on things. We don't let a lot out. Maybe we're a little better than the British. Uh, but you keep that stiff upper lip and then you keep everything kind of uh, to yourself. Well, Paul doesn't know anything about uh, that kind of thing. Sometimes a person will come to me maybe after a service up in front or maybe it'll be a counseling session and they're in the middle of an absolute disaster of a trial so difficult. Sometimes you look at it and you go in your own mind, Lord, other than you, I don't know how in the world they're even going to get through this. And one of the things I'll tell a person like that, uh, among other things, is uh, you must have people praying for you. Uh, do you have somewhere between three and five friends that you know pray and will pray for you and call them uh, sooner rather than later, let them know what you're in the middle of, how they can pray for you on this, and have them commit to praying for you daily. You need uh, prayer related to this situation. And, uh, and, and we do. We need not only to be praying for ourselves, but we need other people praying for us. You may or may not be aware that, but we have a prayer team here at the church. And if you go to the homepage of the website and you click on the, the prayer icon, you can put a prayer uh, item on for any need that happens in your life and in, in any area uh, of your life and immediately have somewhere between 150 and 200 people uh, praying for you. 
And we get a fair amount of prayer requests that come through on a given week on that list, but nowhere, nowhere even remotely near the number that we probably should with a, a, a church this size. And, uh, and, and because uh, for one reason or another, there is, there is this feeling that I don't need to bring a larger group of people uh, into prayer and intercession related uh, to that need. But the fact of the matter is, is that each and every one of us as Christians need to be on uh, the prayer lists of uh, other people. To be on someone's prayer list to me is the greatest list you can ever hope to be on. I would rather have my name on someone's prayer list than to be uh, listed in any who's who uh, 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 for related to anything, whether in this community or in a, in a county or a state or the whole world. Uh, it is an incredible privilege to be on somebody's prayer list. And it is a privilege and a joy for them to pray for us. But we do need to make our needs known to people so, so that that can happen. And I, I want you to also notice that Paul, when he says that he didn't cease to pray for this church, it didn't mean that Paul was interceding 24-7, day and night, for the church at Colossae. The idea is that whenever he prayed, whenever they prayed as a ministry team, the church at Colossae was always a part of that prayer. <clears throat> the third thing I want you to, <clears throat> excuse me, third thing that I want you to notice uh, is the weightiness of the prayer that the Apostle Paul prays here in these verses in praying for others. He prayed that God would give them wisdom. He prayed that uh, they would have a Christian life that was worthy of God. And, and he prayed for God's empowering in their life. And the reason that I mention this is so that it can challenge my prayer uh, life and challenge your prayer life as well. It is fabulous to pray for people related to the physical needs in their life, to pray for their job, to pray for food, to pray for clothing, to pray uh, for financial uh, provision, to pray for healing, to pray for all of those things. All of that is wonderful. But our prayers as Christians should never stop with merely praying for the physical needs of people that we love and we care about. Our intercession needs to go into the spiritual needs that are represented in their uh, lives as, as well. And, uh, and to pray for their spiritual growth, to pray for our own lives in the way that, that Paul prays for here. And when you look at these four specific things that he prays for the church at Colossae, prays for us as well, and you see how uh, substantive they are spiritually, it can really challenge our own, uh, how we pray for our loved ones, pray for uh, other Christians in a really, really good way. Because it's easy to stop and look and say, well, you know, to be honest, if I was to look at my own prayer life, that's all I pray about. As I pray that my kids are my this or my that, they're going to have enough food and a favor on the job and that they get this and, and, and it's all in this material side of things without uh, taking the deepest part of our prayer life, the, the most uh, significant block of it, and move into praying very strong, uh, meaningful, meaty things uh, concerning uh, their lives. You notice that Paul begins his prayer for them in a, in a desire for, uh, uh, in praying for God's wisdom for their lives. And he says it in verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his, that is God's will. And Paul was saying to us as Christians that once we're born again, once we have come to know God personally, once we have come to know him uh, relationally, that spiritual enlightenment doesn't come through what these false teachers were trying to uh, tell uh, everybody about with their false theories and, and, uh, and, and philosophies. But that uh, true spiritual enlightenment and depth, it comes from uh, knowing uh, God's will. 
And, and the Greek word that Paul uses for knowledge there in that verse is epigonoso. And uh, gnosko in, in uh, the Greek word, it means knowledge and, and uh, speaks specifically of an experiential knowledge and uh, an intimate personal knowledge, a knowledge, in other words, that comes by experience. When you put epi in front of another word, epi means, uh, is a Greek word for a palm, when you put it in front of gnosko or another word, it intensifies the word that it's being uh, added to and, uh, and, and coupled with. And as a result, uh, Paul is, uh, he is beating, essentially, the false teachers at their own game. And as they attempted here to lure people into their air uh, with the promise of a super Christianity found only in their super knowledge uh, uh, by stating at the outset, Paul does, that there is no higher knowledge that can be found in all of life uh, than the knowledge of God himself and of his will for everything. And that is knowledge for us individually. There is no higher knowledge than to know what is His will for our lives. And what is His knowledge of His will for our lives as Christians and individually is readily available to every single Christian. You don't have to go to a deeper life club. You don't have to go to some super spiritual group of people who contend that they know the secrets that nobody else knows. And so how can we go deeper into God and into the Christian life by being filled with the knowledge of God? And how exactly does a person do that? It's very simple. By buying a Bible and beginning to read that Bible and beginning to study that Bible. The Bible is the single greatest revelation of God's will for mankind and for his people that it exists. Sometimes God speaks through spiritual gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, these kind of things. He can lead us by his peace, let the peace of God umpire in your heart, but far and away, the, the place that we go to to understand God and to understand his will for our lives is the, the Bible itself. His will for mankind, his will for marriage, his will for singleness, his will for parenting and child rearing, his will for employers and employees, for government, for salvation, for the church, for Christians uh, uh, individually. And, and a, a deep relationship with God and a deep influential Christian life begins, Paul says, with a being filled with the knowledge of his will as it has been searched out and discovered uh, in the word of God. And it is only a deep uh, an ignorance of the scriptures that allows these kind of false teachers and teachings to thrive among Christians. And uh, I read a statistic many, many years ago, and uh, the statistic was that 80% of the people uh, that uh, uh, become a part of the Mormon church, convert to Mormonism, come out of a church background, Christian background, somewhere in their life. And I can guarantee you that they are Christians who never bothered to learn the Word of God deeply, to be concerned about God's will uh, for their life, because uh, nothing in the world can compare with uh, certainly not uh, the pearl of great price and doctrine and covenants and, uh, and the Book of Mormon. Uh, nothing compares with, uh, with the Word of God. You notice that he says that uh, to be filled uh, with the knowledge of his will. And the word filled means filled. And when a glass of water is filled with water, it means it's filled to the top. You can't add anything else to it. And when a Christian is filled with uh, the, the knowledge of God's will, then that knowledge dominates our life. And if the Bible and what the Bible says about life, every area of our life uh, is intended to so dominate our lives 
that there is no room for anything else. And if anybody comes to us with anything else, we ask ourselves, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? Where can I find that in the Bible? And then search to see uh, whether it is true. But to be filled with the knowledge of God, filled with the Word of God, is a tremendous protection against what is false. In fact, we would have no hope, no defense against what is false without knowing the will of God as it's revealed uh, in uh, the, the word uh, of, of God. And uh, nothing compares. Uh, there is no deeper book in existence than the Bible. No deeper knowledge to be found in the world than the knowledge that is found uh, right here in the Bible. You notice that he goes on and, and he, he, he continues his thought here concerning God's will and he declares in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And when he talks here about all wisdom, here's the recognition uh, in a Christian that God's will is the true definition of spirituality. Uh, that it it absolutely excels the definitions of the Gnostics or any false teacher that, that anything that they can come up with. There is no deeper life. There is no greater life. There is no more significant uh, life that can be lived than to live our life in the will of God as it's revealed in the scriptures. And he, he, he speaks of in all spiritual uh, understanding. That is, uh, we read God's word concerning his will, and then we don't merely store it up in some file cabinet within our brains, but then uh, uh, we examine his will for how does this uh, fit into my life? How does this apply to my life? How does it apply uh, to this particular uh, circumstance? And then not only apply it, Uh, in my mind to know what is right, uh, what God wants me to do, what his will is to do in this situation, but then to proceed and to put it into practice uh, in our lives. And all of this, of course, I understand. It can can seem overly basic to some, but uh, many Christians simply stop in verse 9. They're content with believing all of the right things, knowing all of the right things about God's will, about uh, God's word, and they never ever take that next all-important step of then obeying God's word. And that's why Paul moves on to it now in verse 10, and he declares, speaking of taking what we know and having it translate into holiness in our life, into a holy life. And he declares that you may walk worthy of the Lord. You notice the first word in verse 10. It is the word that. And when Paul says the word that, it's an indication that he is continuing his thought from verse 9. He is not beginning now an independent thought. He is a whole trail of of, uh, uh, all the way uh, through here uh, progressively. And so uh, our wisdom and our thinking, our knowing needs to be right. And the reason that verse 9 comes before verse 10, if he came and said, now walk worthy of the Lord, we would scratch our heads and say, how in the world do we do that? You have to tell us how to walk worthy of the Lord. And so in verse 9, he tells us how to do it by discovering God's will in his word, but then he says, don't allow it to just be in your noggin. Make sure that it comes out now and it translates into the everyday of our uh, uh, lives. And, uh, and so our right knowing always has to translate into right doing. Uh, in order to uh, have the, the, the Christian life that God wants us to have. He said there that you may walk worthy, and, and it essentially this is a call to holy living, uh, to live a life that is characterized by the teaching of the word. It doesn't mean that any of us will ever be perfect this side of heaven, but we should never have areas of willful, deliberate disobedience in our life as a Christian or have our lives um, 
marked uh, significantly by areas uh, of disobedience. Our lives are to be marked uh, by holiness. How can we represent a holy God in the world and be taken seriously? Uh, In other words, truly represent him without also uh, uh, being uh, holy. The the participles that Paul used in association with uh, walking worthy there in in verse uh, uh, 10, they're all in the present tense. And and the reason I mention that is they're intended to emphasize the idea of progress. And the readers of the letter in the Greek would immediately understand what Paul uh, was saying without using technical language like I'm, I'm using here. In other words, Paul is saying that we should always be growing in holiness uh, in, in our Christian lives. And many, many Christians fall prey to false teaching because they cease to grow uh, in their Christian lives. And if we continue to grow uh, in our relationship with God, it will become so exciting of a life. Uh, We will enter into such a quality of life that no matter what anyone would ever come and offer us, uh, we would never give it up in exchange for anything. The Gnostics or uh, the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or Christian Science or whoever would come and offer it uh, to us. I am, because of the, the uh, will of God is revealed in his word, and then the obeying of his, his, his word has created such a quality of life in me and in you. But I'll speak to myself. I am never in any danger when a Mormon comes to my front door. I am never in a danger when Jehovah Witnesses come to my front door. I never smack my lips over their doctrine. I never smack my lips over the the quality of life that they are enjoying. And I never go to a family barbecue or a family reunion or any gathering of any other people and they tell me what philosophy or what religion that they're in and it makes me long for what they have that I don't have. I am fully satisfied with what I have. I can't be moved from what I have. Certainly not by someone coming and saying they have something deeper or better than what I have. I could move from it because I'm a numbskull, but not because somebody could ever come to me as a Christian and offer me something better. And this is precisely the point that Paul is making. Know the will of God, obey the will of God. It will translate into such a quality of Christian experience that it will inoculate us against anything anyone could offer us uh, as, as being even potentially better in, uh, in, in the course of our, our Christian uh, 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 pilgrimage. And so the, uh, the importance of that. He speaks about being fully pleasing uh, to him. Every one of us in this room lives to please somebody. Uh, it's the reason we get up out of bed. In a, in a culture that's as self-dominated as our culture, uh, most people live to please themselves. But, not, but some people live to please a spouse or they live to please a mentor or a teacher in their life or a, a, a boss or a friend or a co-worker or whatever it might be. But we all live to please someone. And Paul says uh, that we are to uh, full, live fully to please uh, the Lord. That is our, uh, uh, the chief aim of our life. And Paul prays that for us. And I know I'm, this, what Paul does here is he, he, he makes it hard on us, and, but it's wonderful because what he lays down here is what he does continually in his, his epistles. It's so dense what he's saying, and it, and it can seem so obvious of, of truth uh, uh, to us after we've been around for a, a, little, uh, a little while, but, but, he, but he says it nonetheless. Uh, 
and, and in this context of not being seduced by uh, air, and it is, uh, it, it is impossible to fully please God uh, without obedience to his word and to his will. Not just knowing it, but then obeying it. He talks about being fruitful in every good uh, work. And so uh, we please God by somehow bearing spiritual uh, uh, fruit. And, and here again we see the importance of growing, always growing in, in our Christian lives. And uh, you look at fruit and fruit grows, doesn't it? And, and it grows as it's moving from immaturity to maturity. And to say, if you ever get a batch of grapes or plums or whatever and they're not ripe yet, they're still immature. It's a world of difference between getting those grapes just right uh, from the store. So fruit moves from immaturity uh, to, uh, toward maturity and we're to do the same thing as Christians. And one of the things about fruit in our lives is that fruit is produced by God as we just simply obey his word. And one of the problems with it is this, is this fruit that Paul is talking about, it looks so everyday, it looks so practical, it doesn't look overtly uh, spiritual. I remember listening to a pastor speak, uh, Chuck Woolley from Calvary Chapel Palm Springs, many, many years ago now. And, and he said very theatrically, on purpose in the sermon that he was doing, he said, the trouble with life is that it's just, it's just so daily. And uh, we all laugh because we understand what, uh, what he meant uh, related to that. And, and uh, so an awful lot of what we do in obedience to the word of God, it just looks like practical, rubber meets the road, nuts and bolts kind of thing. Doesn't look uh, that spiritual to us in, 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 as we're raising the children or we're working in some kind of a nine to five job or, or our treatment of, of uh, other people. And we look at our lives and we think, my life doesn't seem to be having a very significant spiritual impact at all. I think I'm missing uh, the deepness of, of uh, the, the Christian life. And when a person feels that way, the false teachers then come in and they can entrap you with promises of learning about some super spiritual way that they have uh, discovered. But you cannot live a deeper, more spiritual life than to know the will of God and the word of God and to obey it and to do so in any environment he chooses to place us in. In whatever family, in whatever workplace, in whatever school, in whatever neighborhood he is in. And much of our lives as Christians, it just looks like the nitty gritty daily of life. I'm not making a difference, but we are. And to live that life that God has called us to in that environment, it is making a difference. And it is giving God what he wants from our lives to make a difference in people's lives. The problem is, is that when we get false ideas of spirituality, and we think that our false ideas of spirituality are, uh, are, uh, supersede what we, what we see God simply call us to be, uh, live for Christ in the environments that he has placed us in. Our responsibility is to just simply know God's word and obey his word everywhere he puts us in life. It is his responsibility to make something of that. We are the five loaves and we are the two fish. And if we begin to assess it, uh, try to take the assessment upon ourselves rather than trusting that God knows what he's doing. He knows why he has put me where he has put me. I'm going to know his word and live his word here and trust that he is making this spiritually significant in my hour in human history. And if we don't believe that about our lives... If we, believe, if we buy the lie that we can so often convince ourselves of, 
that somehow, no, this is not meaningful. Somehow it's got to be some super secret thing other than just the day in and day out of what I'm doing, where I'm doing it for God's glory. Then I become very susceptible this, to this kind of false teaching that, that uh, is even uh, uh, present with us uh, today. You notice he speaks about increasing in the knowledge of God, and uh, the, uh, the, that this speaks of the fact that our personal, experiential relationship with God, it grows as we, uh, as we obey his, his word and his will. And that word knowledge again is that word gnosko, and it speaks of, there's a Greek word that speaks about an intuitive knowledge or a knowledge that we gain that stays only in our brain. Uh, Gnosko speaks about a knowledge that comes by experience, a knowledge that comes with relationship with another person. And here Paul is talking about that gnosko, that kind of an experiential knowledge that we gain with God as we simply obey uh, his, uh, his word. In this regard, uh, Jesus taught in John chapter 14, uh, verse 21, he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And then here it is. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will give him greater uh, revelation. And so greater holiness brings greater revelation, which in turn produces an even greater holiness, which in turn produces an even greater revelation from God, which then uh, produces an even greater holiness, which then leads me into a deeper personal relationship with God. And the cycle begins to run wonderfully and powerfully uh, in our lives. It is the greatest spiritual cycle of life that we can find ourselves in is to obey God and then what he reveals to obedient servants obeying that now and making that a part of our holiness and the Christian life that uh, unrolls uh, there is uh, it, it, it can't be improved upon I want you to notice that when he talks about increasing in the knowledge of God, I want you to notice that word increasing uh, once again. Once again, Paul is telling them and us that the fullness of the Christian life, is growth is necessary for it. And it is growing in these things. It is growing, growing, growing as a Christian and not in some super secret uh, shortcut that someone wants to come and offer it to us. If there was a spiritual shortcut, you know what happened? I'd take the shortcut. I'd be tempted to do that. And you know what would be, the, what would be lost in that shortcut? The relationship with God. It is the obeying uh, to God, Him giving us revelation. The whole thing about Christianity is a deepening of this relationship. It's not to get uh, uh, to pass go first. It is, to, it is to go deeper in our personal relationship with God in preparation for one day face-to-face uh, in heaven. You notice in verse 11, he talks uh, to them about uh, the power. He prays for them to experience power, and, and he prays that they would be strengthened with all might. And this speaks to the place of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, within uh, within uh, the in the Christian life, and Paul prayed that uh, they and us that we would receive all of the power that is needed to live the Christian life. And the word that is used there for might is dunamis in the Greek. It is the dynamic. We get our word dynamic from it. We get our word dynamite from it. We get our word dynamo from it in English. And it is the word that Jesus used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to describe to the disciples the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This power to be a witness unto uh, Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts uh, of the earth. And so this is the dynamic that Jesus promised, 
And uh, Paul uh, prays that they would be strengthened with that dynamic. And the power to live the Christian life that is described in the Bible, it is there for us to receive. Uh, Every day, every hour, every minute, uh, as is uh, is necessary. Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, and he said, if you then, uh, being evil, speaking to uh, us, uh, we as parents, the best of us, are evil in comparison to God as as a parent. He said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, I-N, into our lives. You can't be a Christian without that spiritual birth occurring. But Jesus talks in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he uses a different preposition, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And in order that the Holy Spirit might come out of our lives as a torrent of living water, so that when people come into contact with us as Christians, uh, they will come into contact with the Holy Spirit flowing from our lives. And this is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit uh, within our lives. Paul spoke about it and to the church at Ephesus. He said, do not be drunk with wine in which is wasting or dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, it's in the present tense and it's communicating exactly uh, the same thing. At any time of the day or night as a Christian, I can be in a room that's filled with a bunch of other people at work. I can be at a family reunion. I can be alone. I can be in any environment. And something comes, something hits, some demand, some challenge of our life. And I can stop and I can say to God, God, I ask that you would freshly fill me and overflow my life with the Holy Spirit to be able to stand in this situation and uh, God will provide us with that dynamic and provide us with that power. The the Christianity, contrary to widespread belief, and uh, widespread belief concerning Christian, among Christians as well. Christianity is not uh, God providing us with this massive book called the Bible, and then saying, there's my will, now roll up your sleeves, and now I want you to obey it in your own strength. Who could obey anything in the Bible in our own strength? What it is is that God provides us with the knowledge of his will, and then he couples his word with the person of the Holy Spirit to give us the power to now live what we read in the scriptures. And, uh, And Christianity is God's spirit bringing into our lives the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure. In other words, the Holy Spirit provides us with the will. He provides us with the desire to live this Christian life. And then he provides us with the power to live the Christian life that we see on the pages of, uh, of, of Scripture. And without an understanding of the place of the Holy Spirit in our Christian lives, it will always result in a defeated Christian life. It will result in a powerless Christian life, which will then make us vulnerable to false teachers like the ones that were coming into Colossae and now saying, ah, all right, what you're missing is the secret that we have. And, and it will make us vulnerable a, as a result. And the, uh, and, and the solution to all of this is just simply to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in terms of being strengthened with all might and, uh, and receiving that baptism with the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
And all we ever need to do moment by moment in this Christian life is to ask for that dynamic of the Spirit for that moment that we're facing and we will receive it. It is sure as uh, Jesus' promise. He speaks about according to uh, God's glorious power. This speaks to the degree of the power that we have. In other words, uh, the power of God is as great as God himself. Paul is saying that, that there is no circumstance, no trial, no difficulty that we will ever face in our Christian life that will be greater than the power he is able to impart to us uh, when we need it and when we ask for it. And then he gives us the purpose for all of this and its perseverance uh, continuing on in our Christian life. He said, for all patience and long-suffering uh, with joy. And here's the reason the power is supplied uh, to, to continue moving forward in our Christian life, whatever the obstacle might be. And uh, there's a Greek word that talks about endurance in the New Testament. It's called hupomone, and it means uh, steadfast endurance. It just means keep on going. And uh, we used to say in the old days, uh, keeping on, keeping on. Uh, and, and that's exactly what this does, but in, in terms of, of the spiritual. Here's the power to continue to grow all the way through our entire Christian uh, uh, pilgrimage. And, uh, and uh, despite whatever obstacle we might face. And so... Lengthening legs, I'm all for God lengthening legs in a healing meeting if he wants to do that. But lengthening legs or, or as a farce or possessing uh, spiritual knowledge, uh, it, it is not nearly as impactful as just a simple Christian who is engaged as one person entitled their book in a long obedience in the same direction. And the same direction meaning uh, God's direction. He closes this uh, request that he makes here with the fourth one in, in addressing the issue of thankfulness in verses 12 through 14. And he declares giving thanks to uh, the Father. And you notice that Paul here, he doesn't simply call on us to give thanks to God, but he then gives us three really inexhaustible reasons in our lives as Christians for always being thankful to God and offering thanks up to Him. You notice the first one is there in verse 12. God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. In other words, God has made a way. Imagine this. God has made a way for a person like you or me uh, to be fit to, uh, for heaven through our simple faith in Jesus Christ. What a cause for thanksgiving. And he gives the second one in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And this salvation has produced two things at once. It has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness do you remember that? I remember that. I remember how dark life was. And, and, but this, what God has provided to us is not a halfway salvation or partial salvation. He delivered us by virtue of our salvation out of that darkness of that former kingdom and then delivered us here into the kingdom ruled by the Son that He loves. And that is an amazing one-two thing that God does within, within our lives. A miracle uh, that's worthy of taking a long walk and, and just absorbing it into our spirit and saying thank you for it. And then finally he talks about uh, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption speaks of the release of a prisoner or a slave upon the payment of a ransom. 
And that's what God did with us. The shed blood of Jesus Christ paid the price in order that we might be uh, freed from the slavery and the bondage that we were in. And Jesus' blood was the price that needed to be paid for the forgiveness of uh, our sins. And it allowed a righteous, holy God to forgive unrighteous sinners and remain righteous in doing so. And that was no small accomplishment on, on God's uh, part. And in this prayer, Paul is calling on them and he's calling on us to look at all that Jesus has done for us and to be filled with a fresh sense of thanksgiving for our Savior, for the salvation that, that he provided. And thankfulness is such an important part of the Christian life, but very important in the context that he's talking about here as a defense against ever being seduced by what is false. Thankful people are very, very hard to budge because they look at how much they have to be thankful for in Christ, any Christian would, and, and they're so satisfied by that that it makes it almost impossible to budge a thankful Christian to these things uh, from these things. All false teachers are salesmen, always. First and foremost, they are salesmen. And the first job of any salesman is to get a person to be discontented with what they already have in order that he might then sell them what he wants to sell them instead. And a thankful Christian, a Christian who knows what it is that who we are and what we are because of God's grace alone, the quality of life that we enjoy, the blessings of all of that, that thankfulness stands up as a guard in our life against ever being deceived or being moved to a lie because nothing can be brought into our lives that is superior to what Christ has provided to us and, and has provided a, 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 that we couldn't be more thankful for anything else that would be provided than we already are for what he has provided. Uh, but here's the problem. We can sit in a room like this or walk for decades as a Christian or for years as Christians, and we know all about these things, the redemption, all about uh, being delivered from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, and they get again filed away in some little compartment in our lives. And we hardly ever pull them out and just look at them and praise God for them and keep them current as a cause for thanks within our lives. And so that thankfulness then ebbs within our lives, a thankfulness that again Paul is saying is very important to a contentment in our lives that protects us from ever being seduced by someone coming along and saying they can offer uh, something better. And here, how often it is, as you see that in terms of the cults and and, not, and all when they uh, go around at their doorsteps or wherever you might find them in different places and, and uh, how often the false teachers, they have no interest in going out and reaching the world with what uh, they've got. And, uh, but uh, they will target Christians who are already uh, saved. And the problem with that, uh, and ought to be glaringly evident in terms of, of a problem with all of it, is they come along uh, in a Christian's life after God ha has done all of the hard work in our lives. He's done all of the, the, the heavy lifting in our lives. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has delivered us from one kingdom into another kingdom. And, uh, and here he is, he's done this, made a miracle of our lives, and now they come along and try and steal, as they were doing in Corinth, to try, uh, uh, Colossae, trying to steal them away from God. 
And, you're, and it's always the case. Here you have these Johnny-come-latelys. They show up after God has done all of these great things in our life. And then they come and tell us that they have something to offer that we don't already have. And we should say something like this uh, too uh, about them in our own minds. And why didn't you show up when I was in bondage to sin, when I was destroying my life, when I was deeply enslaved to the kingdom of darkness and longing for a different kind of life? Why didn't you come to me with what you've got now rather than coming uh, as you here are now uh, so long after uh, God has changed my uh, life here? And then to say to them, no thanks, as Paul is urging us to do here in a sense, I'll stick with the one who got me this far. If you couldn't get me here, then you can't get me where you say you can get me. I'll only trust the one who got me this far to take me where I need to go in my Christian life. I don't have anything, you can't uh, give me anything better than, than what I already have. And Paul is a say, saying essentially, don't fall for it, stick with Jesus, stick with the one who got you here. Now, uh, this passage of Scripture is one of my favorite in all of the Bible for a lot of reasons. But sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, um, Pastor, how can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? And almost always, I take them to this passage or I encapsulate them, it, 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 it for them. And I'll say, if you want to pray for me, here's what I'd like you to pray for me. I'd like you to pray, Lord, give them wisdom, keep them holy, give them power, and keep his eyes on all of the things that he has to be thankful for. And that's the, that's the prayer that Paul prays for the church at Colossae and prays for us. And it's not only a great prayer to pray for ourselves, but it's a great prayer to pray for other people. Lord, give him wisdom, keep him holy, give him power, and keep him conscious of all of the things that he has to be thankful for. And behind this prayer is the desire, as Paul lays this prayer out to the church at Colossae, is the desire that we as Christians, having been saved, and he says it three or four, two or three different ways in the passage here, is, is he is nudging and saying, you must continue to grow, you must continue to grow, keep on growing in each and every one of those areas of your life, in your knowledge of His will, in thanksgiving, in the power uh, of God, and in holiness. Don't stop, keep on growing, because that's where the fullness of the Christian life is going to be found and to be discovered. And I say it because I think Far too many Christians, and maybe the majority of those that call themselves Christians today, decide to stop growing spiritually at some point in their life. They determine it. And then they set themselves up as a result for falling for all kinds of lies, all kinds of deceit, all kinds of, uh, uh, of error, as we'll see it later within the letter. And we want to make sure that we are not one of those Christians. It is easy to know even these four things that Paul laid out and prayed. But the idea is, on Paul's part, is that we will then take those four things and do with them what Paul cannot do and could not do for anyone else other than his life, and that is to grow in them. And that is where the greatest Christian life a person can find will be found. And so we ask ourselves this morning, if we sit here, we sit out in the courtyard or at home, have I stopped growing as a Christian? I just determined this is as far as I'm going to go in this thing. I'm content with it, and I'll just ride this out uh, in, into, into heaven. 
and under the, the weight of Paul's passion here and his desire here that if that's where I am, to repent of that lukewarmness and to repent of being a backslider in heart and saying, no, Lord, I want to go full on and continue to grow into this Christian life all of the days of my life. And if that's a prayer that you need to pray, pray it to the Lord today, and He will meet you there. And you can pick up with Him where you left off perhaps so long ago, and He'll be eager to do that. Let's stand together now. We'll close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the simplicity, the beauty, and the depth of this passage. And we thank You for not only saving us, but providing us with all that we need from You in order to explore the fullness of the Christianity that is described on the pages of Scripture and to explore them experientially in fellowship and in relationship with You. And so we pray that You would give us Your wisdom, You would keep us growing in holiness, that You would give us Your power, and that You would keep our eyes well-directed to all of the things that we have to be thankful for in You and that never change. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.